Hey everyone, welcome to The Start. I'm your host, Patrick Johnson. I'm glad to have you back this week. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for tuning in, taking time out of your day to hang out with me on this podcast. This week, we've got an awesome developer, programmer, all-around smart guy, and a really good friend of mine. His name is Pavan Trikutum. Hopefully, Pavan, I said your last name correctly. I'm sorry if I did not. Pavan is a currently a Rails developer. Um, he runs his own consultancy called Graybike. And I met Pavan through a project that I worked on and still occasionally work on called Soma Water. Pavan is the backend developer uh, that supports Soma Water, and I am the front end developer that supports Soma Water. So we've spent a good part of, I think, two years now working together on this project over time, watching it evolve and change and update, and just get better. Um, and through that, we've obviously hung out on Slack, had a handful of Skype sessions, shot the shit, learned about one another. And I thought he'd be a really cool person to come on the show because there's tons and tons of moments when I don't know what to do about something. And I ping Puvin and so I'm like, hey, dude, you got a second? And he always gives me just like good nuggets of knowledge. And sometimes it's stuff about programming or about the code or the problem, right? Or the domain that we're in at the time. Sometimes it's just about life. Sometimes it's about freelance stuff. Sometimes it's about he's he's really big into hip hop. Sometimes it's like new artists and that kind of stuff. But generally speaking, he's a well-versed, well-rounded guy um, who I thought would be a really cool person to interview for the show. And, and needless to say, it was. Puffin's background um, is not unlike any other programmer. And that's not a bad thing, right? He, this is, And by that, I mean, it's something that he's done since he was young. Um, it's not a it's not a new endeavor for him, but as he progressed through his career and his life, you can sort of tell where some of these nice little nuggets of knowledge came from, right? Like Pavin, when he went to school, they sort of explained this idea that you know the kind of work you want to look for are big corporate entities like Oracle or Cisco or whatever. Um, and then at one point in his life, he got to work at an agency, and he and, he, and that's when the whole uh, providing services as a product, quote unquote, right? You think about what most agencies do could be a thing. And that's when the ball really started rolling for him. And it sounds like if I were to infer from our episode, that is what inspired him to start Gray Bike, um, and which is what he's doing now. And he stays pretty busy and he does some really cool work with that. But all around, I think Pub is a cool dude. Um, I think this episode is going to be a really, really fun one. So I appreciate you all listening. Before I release you to the show, uh, I will say the same thing I say every episode, which is if you have time or feel intrigued enough to write, review, or share this episode or the podcast, I would very I would be indebted to you in a internet-y kind of way. Um, but yeah, I appreciate you guys. If you can, share, review, rate the show. Um, also, if you've got any questions, comments, concerns, whatever, you can hit me up on Twitter. It's at the start FM. I will always respond. But yeah, that's all I got. Enjoy the show. It's me and Pavan Trikutum. Pavan, I'm sorry. Hey, Pavin. Thanks for coming on the podcast, man. I really appreciate you joining me. Hey, thanks for having me, man. How, uh, how was your weekend? So for the listeners, the listeners know that I, if they don't know, they know now I record ahead of 
publishing. So I don't like this episode will not go live tomorrow. It'll probably go live in like a month or so. So what's going to happen is a month after the Super Bowl, they're going to hear a bunch of shit about the Super Bowl. And since you live in San <laughs> right. Francisco, how is it like in your neighborhood and, and town and stuff with all the festivities? It's so in my neighborhood, it's not too bad. It's pretty, I, I live kind of a little further away from downtown. Um, but you know, I've been, you know, hunkering down, getting ready for the Super Bowl. So I have like, I went grocery shopping. I got everything I need so that I don't have to like venture into the madness if I don't want to. That's fair. Um, so yeah, but there's, it, it's, it's crazy downtown. Like Friday night, there was like fireworks and yeah, it's just, it's just a madhouse. <laughs> Well, it's good that you can selectively be a part of it if you want to, but you also have the opportunity to not be like, if you came in for the Super Bowl and you're just like stuck in that shit, I can yeah. only imagine you would get tired of it very quickly. Yeah. But I, I think, you know, if you came in for the Super Bowl, it's pretty exciting to be yeah. in the environment. Cause there's just like, there's stuff going on everywhere. Yep. I mean, I think like eight or like, there's like seven concerts on Friday night that were just, you know, like oh, huge wow. names and just like, yeah. Something like that. I was, so I've been around the Super Bowl twice. Um, when it was in Tampa and I was in okay. USF, it wasn't like the stadium is like 30 minutes away and 30 minutes in Tampa is a good distance. So we still mm-hmm. had some festivities going on at the college because the teams were, were practicing the week of on our campus, okay. which was pretty cool. Gotcha. Um, that is cool, yeah. but nothing, nothing too outrageous. Um, and then in New York. So again, it was at, uh, wherever the giants and the Jets play, I forget what metal stadium or MetLife, whatever it's called now. Um, and actually what was hilarious is like the city basically sent out maps of where all the activities were going to take place. Cause I would imagine something of that size is similar to when the president comes in town and everything shuts down or like, like yeah. a large portion of the city shuts down and it fucks up enough stuff that totally. you sort of need to be in the know. And I avoided that stuff like the plague. It was also in times, yeah. which I already avoided like the plague. Right. No, it, it is actually kind of like that. It's kind of freaky because you'll be walking around downtown and there's, there's dudes with full like assault rifles. Just, Oh like, my gosh. I, I, it's like a police state sort of, I mean, it, yeah. you know, it makes sense with the, you know, all the, all the, the current turmoil, state of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Right. The state of the world, I guess. But um, yeah, it's freaky. You know, you'll just be walking around and this, dude with like a machine gun is just staring you down. You're like, dude, I live here. I don't worry. Like, (laughs) (laughs) um, yeah, that happens on the subway sometimes. Like when you get out this, when I worked in midtown, I'd get off the subway at 51st street and just on a random occasion. And every time I saw them, they would, you know, uh, police force or like higher level police force would be in like tactical gear with like a four foot long assault rifle. And I'm like, that gun's as tall as I am. Um, but it always makes me, at least in New York, it always makes you think like what's going on, not in a bad way, but right. like who's in town. Yeah. Like what is the reason? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, so yeah. for the listeners, Pavan and I have a, I think a pretty good friendship. So we both yeah, worked on sure. and still currently work on, uh, for on an application for a company called Soma water. So Soma, Mm -hmm. Soma water is a well-designed, uh, probably better for you water pitcher than what I would consider its competitor to be something like a Brita. Like that shit's Mm -hmm. ugly. Um, but Pavan and I, uh, Pavan works on the back end side of things cause he's super smart. And I work on the front end side of things cause I'm super lazy. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, and we worked on that for like, a year or two together, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like, yeah, like a, a year and a half maybe. Yeah. yeah. Like it's been, Netflix. it's been 
quite a bit of, and Pavan is probably one of the people I speak to more frequently uh, and, and by yeah, nature, totally. by way of someone, which I don't think is a bad thing, but over the yeah. time he's taught me a lot of things. Um, and he's a pretty cool dude who has a pretty, pretty impressive palette for hip hop and basketball, which are two, <laughs> it's two things that we both enjoy. So it was like a yeah, match made in sure. developer heaven kind of thing. So I wanted to have him on the show, yeah. but that being said, Pavan, I would prefer that you give an introduction of yourself. That way I don't fuck it up. Sure. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, my name's Pubbin. Um, I'm a, I'm a regular dude. I'm a full-time software consultant. So I do stuff, uh, like what I work on, uh, at Soma with Patrick. Um, I do that for uh, a number of people and you know what that number is varies day to day. Uh, but yeah, no, I live in San Francisco. I'm, uh, I, you know, mostly have a background in software, but I, I really love doing stuff that has a heavy focus on design. I sometimes do a little bit of design myself and, uh, and some awesome photography. Don't, don't forget about the photography. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. I like to, I like to take photos in my free time. So that's, that's another thing I like to do. (laughs) Um, I have a question. So you, 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 uh, introduce yourself as a software consultant. What, how would you define that? And I'm asking only because, when I think of consultancies, I think of uh, that H Showtime show with Don Cheadle, but that's like finance consulting, which is totally different. Uh, yeah, yeah, like Accenture type stuff. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So how would you define yeah. that? Yeah, so I mean, I, I, I realize when I say the word consultant, it's totally like this ambiguous thing that is, I you know, for, for many people, probably really frustrating to hear because they're like, <laughs> well, do you write code or do you do design or what is, you know, what exactly do you do? Um, <laughs> I And it's like, you know, it's totally fair. Uh, you know, essentially what I do is I work with a lot of businesses and I use technology to help solve their business problems. Okay. So I have a, I have a background in engineering. Um, you know, I have a computer science degree. So most of the time, uh, it takes some form of writing code or working with code, but sure. I don't really like to present it that way because oftentimes the solutions we're looking for do not require code or, you know, sure. it just takes a certain insight into understanding technology and how, how to run a business and improve a business with technology. So, you know, for some people I will, I will write code and, mm-hmm. you know, build out a product for them. And then for some people, you know, they come to me and they have an idea of like, okay, well, I want to do this, this, and this. And so really I, what I do is I, I work closely with them to connect up dots for existing services or that makes sense. sometimes it's just a matter of like, you know, improving their, UX, like they'll just say, Hey, I have this problem. You know, my, I can't get customers to sign up that, you know, that much, or like my conversion is terrible for that. So we'll walk through that and we'll work through it. And then at the end, maybe I'll actually make the improvements myself, but you Mm -hmm. know, the, you know, the bulk of what I do, I think comes from just the experience of working in this area. So then in some instances, the quote unquote deliverable that you might provide a client could be code, but it might just be a roadmap too. Yeah, totally. I mean, very cool. I had one client that, um, you know, he had, he had a landing page that was just super confusing and and no one was signing up. And so I just Mm -hmm. worked with him, you know, I talked to his customers and we did a bunch of research and it was, it was more of like a, yeah, I guess it was like a strategy document, which eventually turned into wireframes. Very Um, cool. And I didn't write a line of code. Yeah. That's great, man. Um, no, it's really cool. Cause I, I feel like, uh, the industry that you are, that you and I are in, which is software, programming, engineering, design, whatever, right? X, mm-hmm. um, for a very long time has always been seen as a, uh, artificial until tangible industry. By that, I mean, 
um, you aren't going to get paid until you gave them something that worked that they can touch that they could interact with. But now I'm noticing not only from you, but from other people that, uh, that's, it's no longer artificial until tangible. It's very much like it's the varying levels of it being tangible is finally being respected. So like the idea of like doing user research and maybe at the end, you don't have a fully designed brand new set of code that is a website. Uh, but instead you've got sort of this roadmap on how to make this thing better because there's a bunch of thought that went into it. Yeah, no, totally. And I, I think, um, I mean, this, this industry is super young still. And I think, you know, every single day it, it goes through its own form of growing pains and, you know, there's, there's all sorts of, you know, there's more and more people joining the industry, playing mm-hmm. different roles, you know, it's, it's growing. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, like, I think I, I approach it as the, with the idea that, you know, s- software and technologies is really just a tool to get what you want to get done, yep. done, right? Yep. Like I, I don't, I don't, I don't sit here and go home and think, man, I really love writing, you know, super advanced code. Like, I mean, I, I, I can appreciate it, you know, like, I think it's cool to like, you know, have like a, you know, like a well-designed piece of software and, yeah. like, you know, code that works well and is well-tested and stuff. I, you know, there is a certain gratification you get from that, but really for me, the main thing is like, you use that to build something awesome. Yeah. It's, it's a, something cool. it's a medium, it's a mode of transportation, essentially. Exactly. Right? You don't yeah, buy to an Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, for most yeah. people, right. Um, yeah, right. So, so yeah, I mean, I think that because of that, like, you know, for me, the deliverable can be something besides just code because it's really like I, what I'm trying to accomplish is like building something or improving a business or something like that yeah. versus some people it's just like, you know, they just want to write code and they don't want to, have to deal with thinking about too much other stuff. I mean, That's not fair. everybody. I mean, yeah. yeah different um, so where, at what point in time did you get into code? And I asked that because you mentioned that you like, you went to school for it too. So has, have this always yeah. been like the plan? Um, no, actually when I was younger, <laughs> this is going to be embarrassing. When I was like really young, I was like, I was super into comedy and I wanted to be uh, a comedian. <laughs> That's <laughs> I not remember, like being in, um, yeah, well for, <laughs> for whatever the case is, you know, it was something that I I thought a lot about, but yeah, when I was in elementary school, I used to just think like, man, I really want to just be like funny. And I think it was probably because I wasn't funny at the time. And so I would like crack all these jokes in class and they would just fall flat. And I would just be like, nah, man, I'm going to get it. I'm going to do it. (laughs) (laughs) If it, uh, um, if it makes you feel better, I wanted to be a golfer. I want to be a professional golfer and I had never played golf a day in my life. Um, and, and my, yeah. And then I played and I was like, this sucks. Um, yeah, it's hard. And then my, my aunt, this is obscure, but my aunt wanted to be a, a, a bunny. No joke. Like as a child, wow. like interesting elementary school, you asked her what she, she wanted to be when she grew up. She wanted, yes, she wanted to be a oh. bunny. Yeah. That's well, that's a little bit more creative than the average. Um, yeah. So you, know, you being a comedian is by no means that embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I think ultimately it came to a point where I was like, I got to think about what it would take for me to try and become a comedian and like really like it's really hard and like you know it just takes like incredible yeah. dedication. do you ever listen uh, to the mark maron podcast yeah yeah occasionally yeah it's, it's great dude while all the stories are super interesting hearing people be like yeah i was sort of living out of the back of my car for like a couple months and yeah and you're just like fuck like yeah. louis like louis ck his episode's really funny and he like at one point in that in that episode of the podcast he basically says that he rented a car 
to drive himself to the airport with all intentions of leaving the car at the airport. And he did that. And like, he just did a bunch of dumb stuff, but with every comedian, the story is always, and most actors too, generally speaking, it's always a tough road. Like, you know, there's a couple good breaks, but generally speaking, they're, they're swimming against the, the current for most of their career. Totally. In fact, actually, I just recently saw this really interesting documentary. Oh yeah. Um, It's, it's really awesome. And I think it's, it basically, it's a bunch of interviews with a lot of rappers that, you know, have, have found relative success, but aren't exactly like, you know, they're not the Kanye Wests and Jay-Z's of the world. They're like, you know, they drive, probably drive and do tours at smaller venues and, you know, probably don't have like massive, massive followings. I think probably the most famous rapper that was interviewed in that would either be evidence from dilated peoples or slug from atmosphere. See, I don't know. I was hoping you were going to say boozy. Oh no, I actually, I'm not familiar with him. Oh my God. It's terrible. In my opinion, it's terrible. Florida rap, but (laughs) in, in, in Florida, boozy is like the guy, not the guy. It it, it depends on the type of rap you like, but if you like that type of rap, he's like at the top in Florida. So, but both of those rappers I've never heard of. So this documentary talks about basically being a successful, smaller scale. Sort of. It's actually, it's like, it basically gives you, you know, I mean, you you and, and whoever is listening should definitely check it out, but it's like, it's, they describe what it's like to be, to try and make it in this industry and how mm-hmm. much hard work it is. And I mean, it, in the beginning, it's actually really crazy. There's just like, yeah, I don't tell people I'm a rapper. You know, I just tell people I'm a musician or I tell people I'm in the entertainment industry yeah. because as soon as someone's like, oh, you're a rapper, like, oh, there's yeah. this like level of judgment that comes. And it's like, no, like, I really do this. But people, you know, there's, it, it's weird. And like, it's really hard. And like, you see you know, they, they follow some of these guys to their shows and some of these guys talk about their shows where they're playing and there's like five people in the audience and it's just oh, like fuck. really humbling. But then at the same time, these people also, you know, they get to make music for a living and it supports them and it's, it's really yeah. awesome. So it is. that's pretty cool. Um, yeah. so it's, it's really inspirational and it kind of grounds you a little bit. Cause you think, Oh man, like it would be just so great to do this thing that I love. But then it's like, no matter what you do, you got to put in such hard work that it's like, yeah, you know, it's no joke. W- yeah. With the exception of sports. And by that, I mean, like you can't, you can't work hard at being very tall. Right. Like those <laughs> kind of things. <laughs> Some uh, stuff you're born with for sure. But yeah, exactly. So in, in, in the case of like physicalness, some things you are born with, but generally speaking, what I'm realizing, and I'm not even that old. So thankfully I'm sort of realizing this now versus when I'm like 50 and I did a bunch of dumb stuff is that like most people, and I would argue comedians too, at least from listening to the Marin podcast. And I don't think that that is the end all be all, but what it sounds like is it's hard work and perseverance a lot of the time, right? It's, it's not giving up like, uh, Ron white. I don't know if you know who he is, but he was a part of the blue collar comedy tour with like Jeff Foxworthy, those guys. Um, he was the older guy that would drink whiskey all the time. He didn't start a comedy until he was like 30. Yeah. I mean, I hear Ricky Gervais started like in his, you know, middle-aged years as well. So I don't know. Maybe, yeah. maybe. I and it's just, wrong, it, but, you know. it, what to me, that's sort of crazy because what that says is that you don't need to be doing this when you're from when you're 20, right. Or when you're 15. Right. So like, cause he's on sorry, uh, was doing it. At, I think he was on the Marin podcast. And basically what happened was at the time in which he uh, sort of came into uh, the public light was around the time when, Comedians like Louis C.K. and that whole group were in their 30s and in their 40s, and they're having jokes about kids and shit. 
um, and about family, like, you know, just stuff that's a part of their everyday life. And then Aziz Ansari sure. came up and he, he has a different perspective because he's not a white dude um, as well, but he was also in his early twenties. So he was making early twenties jokes, right? Jokes yeah, about, for sure. about like, and I, I'm making this up, but jokes about, I don't know, like going on a Tinder date with a girl that doesn't look anything like a profile photo, right? Like right. stuff that, uh, that uh, like a, a, a missing audience in the comedy world, laughed at and that sort of helped propel him but at yeah. the same time he still had to work small rooms and like he still sucked for a little bit and like he just worked really hard and it was right. a, i guess in that case an instance of preparation and opportunity along with like perseverance yeah but i think that's sure. also the same for the shit that we do um so you wanted to be comedy at what point yeah. did you realize that that may not be the path for you it was pretty quick um <laughs> it was like <laughs> you know i mean i like in high school i used to do like like a lot of improv. Um, I, I, and I still like do it occasionally here for fun, but, um, you know, it's more just like, I just like goofing around and being an idiot and yeah. stuff. Um, and so there was a point where I was like, yeah, I don't want to like put everything into this. Like I, this is cool, but I don't love it that much. Yeah. Um, there's definitely and, a breaking point when you realize it's either all or nothing. Yeah, totally. And I was like, I just, I, I'm, I'm just not interested in putting in that kind of work for this kind of thing. And, you know, I, I grew up in a very like traditional Indian family. So, oh, yeah. you know, engineering and computer science was very much on the table, uh, the whole time, you know, is that, like, is that because it was a smart career choice or did you have family members that were already in that field? Um, both, uh, okay. <laughs> you know, typically like, yeah, my parents, my parents were very encouraging and they, you know, they, they wanted me to get a good education and find something that would provide me with a good income so that I would have the opportunity to explore other stuff. Sure. It wasn't necessarily phrased that way, but they, you know, the first thing they wanted yeah. me to get down was, you know, make sure that your job is secure and you have like a good, you know, you can support yourself in a family. And, you know, once you do that, like do whatever, do whatever the hell you want, but yep. you know, <laughs> so, you know, but that, that really wasn't what pushed me into it. I think I, so I wrote my first program or my first piece of code in like, it must've been like either elementary school or junior high, like oh, very wow. early on. Yeah. Um, I, I'd always just kind of been a tinkerer, I guess, you know, like the, I guess the classic engineering you yep. know, nerd stories, you know, I like my dad brought a computer home and I was in the first grade or second grade. And I remember I would play games on it and do yep. stuff. And this is like, this was back in the day of like, there was very, very like, I don't even know if there was like a UI. I think there was, I don't think I was like a, like on the command line doing like hacker stuff. Um, but there was like, it was very simple back in the day. And then I wrote like, eventually at some point I looked up enough and I wrote a, a simple text-based game in basic where it's just like, if you want to enter this room, press yes or no. And <laughs> some, some really like, you know, silly little game. And, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I always kind of enjoyed the, I think I've always just tried to create stuff. And so that, you know, it was a very easy way to create stuff. Out yeah. Of nothing. So and cool. um, did your dad know engineering stuff? So like, was it one of yeah. those things where you were tinkering on your own or was it something you and your dad did together? Um, he, he was in the field, but a lot of the stuff I would kind of do on my own. Um, okay. You know. He was, he was pretty busy. Um, and you know, he would, he would definitely help me figure stuff out, but mm -hmm. it was, you know, he was very much like, uh, it was hands off. You know, there wasn't really a story yeah. of us like together, putting together something or anything like that. 
I can only imagine what's going on in your dad's head at that time. Cause if he's in the field, he's probably super excited that you have some mild interest in it. Right. Um, because it's something you can share together, but if he is too involved, then you might step back and be like, no, I don't want to do this anymore. Uh, because maybe you feel like you're being forced. But then if you're, if he's not involved enough, then maybe you lose interest. Like there's this, and I feel like that happens. It doesn't matter what it is, whether it's a dad who wants their son to play baseball or, um, a set of parents that want their kids to be academically inclined. It doesn't matter what it is. I feel like, like I can only imagine how hard that is to be a parent, like be excited that your kid's interested and then like, uh, let them do it. Right. Right. No, totally. Um, I I think for him, it was more like a, he just wanted to encourage me to experiment and learn stuff in general. And so this, this just sort of fell into that category because I I don't think he, um, he's, he doesn't really like write code per se. So to this this day, I don't really exactly understand what he does. It's more like, um, like he's, I guess he's more in a consultant capacity too. Uh, (laughs) So go figure. Um, you know, he does stuff with like databases and he, he like, he does more management these days, you know, um, go figure. But, um, th- this was just, just another one of those things that he was like, yeah, you should learn this. It's like a useful skill. Like you should get into it. And you know, the same thing for like learning math or like learning how to operate, you know, like I remember when I was a kid, he, he would like give us the expensive camcorder and tell me to go play with it. And like, learn oh, wow. my mom would be like freaking out and be like, be careful, to, don't break it. And my dad would be like, he, you know, he's fine. And so he just sort of like encouraged that sort of like learning and experimentation. So that was, that was really great. cool. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So then, so technically then I guess you've been programming for a very long time. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think I th- it really started to pick up when I was in high school because I, okay. I would start making websites. Um, uh, and I, you know, at the time it was mostly just like HTML, CSS, JavaScript type stuff. I never really did anything back end. for me. It's always been a very visual thing. Like, yeah. I, you know, if I can immediately see the result, you know, yep. like well, the feedback loop, result. yeah. If the feedback yeah. loops really small, you tend to keep going because it like, so this is the opposite of baking. I, I very much love baking, but the one thing I hate about baking is that it takes me from the time I crack an egg to start baking cookies. Uh, to the time in which you get to eat them is like five hours. It's a, yeah. and it's it, there's nothing wrong with that. And it's five hours because of the process I use, and it's a process I like because it yields good quality, like to my in my opinion, good quality cookies. But mm-hmm. um, if I if that was my every single day, that would be tough, right? Because if I experiment on a batch and it tastes like shit, that's five hours. Yeah. Right, um, right. Whereas if yeah, totally. I if I forget a semicolon in JavaScript, it's immediate. Right. Right. Yeah. And I mean, even taking that a step further, just like just being able to see something like visual and aesthetic for me has been like always something that's really important. Um, so the immediate feedback loop is huge just for like being able to like learn and stuff. Yeah. But even just for like, I guess like personal gratification, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I want to be able to immediately see what I'm creating and like get that sort of like boost of, you know, happiness from seeing like, Oh, this is a beautiful thing that I made just now. And yeah. so it's like, it's very easy to like attach an aesthetic, you know, satisfaction to it, I guess. Yeah. Uh, that makes sense. Were you, yeah. um, in high school, were you building sites for yourself or for other people? Mostly for myself, for like stupid blogs and shit for my friends. And like, <laughs> you know, um, like, cause like blogs were like huge at that time and they had just like just invented blogs. Wait, how <laughs> so, old are you Pavin? I'm turning 30 this year. Actually. Okay. So, yeah. uh, 
up until recently, I wasn't like the whole blogging thing I wasn't into and I was sort of ignorant to all that kind of stuff. So yeah. when you say the blogging thing got popular, are you talking about like blogger or like, yeah, like, like blogger, Zynga like or whatever? Journal. Yeah, there you go. That's right. I meant to say live journal, not Zynga. Yeah. That's a game company. No, there was, there was one called Zanga, I think. So okay. there was maybe. one like that. Okay. Yeah. And then this so is that like was, when people would like deck out their MySpace pages. And, okay. You know? <laughs> all right. So then we're all Stuff about like the, that. we're roughly around the same era. Like my yeah. first, my first introduction, I say introduction, it was very, very light. Uh, my girlfriend at the time in high school was super, like had a super decked out MySpace page and yeah. she <laughs> told me how to make like the text scroll across and it was the marquee tag. Yeah, yeah. And so I like how to put the marquee tag in the thing. And what's funny, I say it's funny. I don't know what she's doing now. I haven't talked to her since high school, but it'd be hilarious if she was like an engineer now and like got started from like <laughs> decking out people's like MySpace page and shit. Yeah. I mean, it's that's how it starts, right? I mean, for a lot of people, I think they have this kind of story where they're like, I just started playing around with this thing because it looked cool and I wanted to make something yep. looking cool. And then in the process, you're like, oh, I'm like learning how to code. And this is. Not, you know, too bad. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I, I, I brought this up on past episodes and I need to find this article, but I read an article from a reputable source. It wasn't like some weird ass source, but basically this journalist went and studied, uh, how children are taught or the educational process, um, in other countries. And Hmm. he either mentioned like he, for the sake of this conversation, let's say he was in Japan. Um, and what he noticed, he was in a Japanese math class. And the students were learning how to draw three-dimensional shapes. Uh-huh. And um, what ended up happening is the teacher picked a student to go up on the board. Now, at this point in the story, the the person flips back to what that would look like in the American like educational system, which is kids learn how to draw 3D shapes. The student that the American teacher picks is probably going to be the best student. Right? They can mm. draw it very well. Their level gotcha. is satisfactory. Whereas in J- Japan... Um, it was the opposite in the story. The teacher purposely picked a student that was having a hard time and um, made this student figure out how to fuck to draw a cube in front of their classmates who knew how to draw the cube. And the, huh. the summation of that point was in the U.S., we don't teach struggle. But in other cultures, and in this case, the example I'm using is Japan, in this, in this Japanese culture, struggle is very much an apparent part of the educational process. And the reason why I bring that up is because is what I – so that's one thing. And then the other thing is that oftentimes uh, – and again, this is a separate study. I, I read weird things now that I think about it. But um, the, it was a separate study that talked about the point in which a kid excel, like, continues doing something or stops doing something. And it's at the point in which they can uh, derive their quality of work when compared to others. So mm-hmm. hypothetically, let's say you really like drawing. Uh, this study suggests that you stopped drawing when you were able to compare your work against your peers and realize that you weren't good. Interesting. So you, you take those two things combined, right? You got this, this, this idea of perceived quality and this lack of, of struggle as a part of a process. And what you end up with is a lot of people who don't try things. But yeah. I think programming, especially earlier on, right? Before today, when you can basically go to a website share a link and you can watch me program something. So before that, what used to happen is, and I'm making broad stroke assumptions here. You may or may not have known other people programming, but also the the premise or idea of programming at the time was a lot lower level of quality. So the level of quality probably was like comparable 
to that of a high school kid. So you were like, you're doing fine. And you yeah. liked it. And yeah, yeah. it didn't feel like a struggle, hopefully. Uh, and if it did, it, like I, I would argue and say that because the feedback loops were so small, the struggles are really incremental. I'm also assuming that you went to school in the U.S. and not another country. I um, did, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, so, like, it, it's sort of like this perfect storm of things that sort of work out. Whereas I could imagine a high school kid now being like, oh, I want to learn. I want to fuck around with JavaScript. And they have to figure out how to, like, set up a linter and, like, add Babel because they want to use it. Like, and all this kind of shit that just makes it really hard. To, they're probably like, I don't want to do this. Yeah, well, actually, I mean, that's a, you bring up an interesting point because it's like, I actually think for me it was, I, I wasn't comparing my work to anybody else um, at the time, which maybe maybe that's has something to do with it. Because I was like, I just didn't think about it, right? I was just like, oh, you know, like I've, you know, I, I just want to make something and then I like the way that it looks. And that was it. That was all I really thought about. And I'm sure there's now, you know, you have all these like networks of people are like, yeah, I'm sharing this thing I just whipped up this weekend. It's this beautiful, amazing thing that yeah. you're like, wow, it's like so intimidating. I've been doing this for so long and I'm still like, I look at other people's work and I'm like, wow, this is so good. Uh, you know, I don't know if I'll ever be that good. You know, yeah. it's so much more. Uh, there's, there's a really good quote by Ira Glass and I'm going to paraphrase the, it. Is that the Gap? I, I think so. Yeah. I mean, I don't know the specific words he used, but he basically talks about how, like when you're doing something, it's going to be terrible at first, That's but you gap. know, it's terrible. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, you know, it's, you know, it's terrible because you have good taste. And so you should just like rely on that good taste to refine the quality of your work and yep. keep pushing through that like shitty yep. part. Uh, yeah. And yeah. I think, uh, some piece in that, that he talks about. So there's actually, I, I'll link it again. I've linked it a few times on the on, sure, on various yeah. episodes. <laughs> well, because it's, it, I think it's something that everybody goes through and exactly like you said, you know, it's crap because you have good taste. The problem yeah. is that your abilities do not match your level of taste. So you know that the code you wrote is bad, or you know that the design is not exactly what you envisioned, but you don't know how to take it from what you've done thus far and make it meet what you've envisioned. And I feel like if I were to add to what you're saying, uh, part of that is because you just haven't worked enough. You just need to keep making, keep making, right. keep making, keep going totally. more blood, more sweat, more tears, keep going. And then eventually what you, en- you'll be able to make what you envision. Um, and yeah, that I think is totally. the point in which you can feel good about it. Um, but yeah, no, I think it, what I, what I do like about our industry and I, I say collectively design and development because we are so uh, sort of handcuffed to one another in a good way is that if the person is good, and if the person is experienced, they're, they've been in your shoes, right? If let's say yeah, you wrote a program sure. um, and it works, but you feel bad about it and you go talk to maybe your mentor about it, he's probably be like, yeah, this does work. It's actually pretty good. There's some things you can do better, but I did this when I was your age. Like, you know, you've got, and I'm making this up, you've only got two years of programming. Like you wouldn't know this stuff because you've never had to do it before. And then they come in and they help you and they just shed this light on this thing. So I do, I I think, you know, I think it's interesting. We definitely have to work on stuff and we have to keep working. And what I tend to say is like, we need to understand that curiosity as much a skill as anything else. Um, We need to always just be curious. Uh, But but then the good thing is that there's a lot of people in the industry too that are, open and welcoming to that and coach everyone up a little bit, you know, and help them out. Totally. Yeah, no, there's a ton of sharing and the, yeah, it's a very, it's an awesome community. I mean, I think, you know, at some point, especially with the pace at which technology and our industry moves, uh, and you know, this is the case for any craft, you know, not just like technology 
related stuff, but like you kind of just have to embrace the process and just know that you're not going to ever be done and you're never yeah. going to be like exactly where you want to be. You just got to know that like, yeah, I'm going to just be struggling and learning a lot all the time. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, like you just gotta, you can't like be discouraged because, Oh, this isn't exactly what I thought it was going to be or whatever. You just gotta say, look, I, if you enjoy the process of learning and experimenting and trying new stuff out, you'll be fine. Cause that's all you have to do. And yeah. that's what you do every day. Did you ever feel that way? But like, well, when you were a kid, when you were, you know, tinkering essentially, and it wasn't, and I say this now, you know, I don't know what you think. I don't know if when you were 16, you're like, I want to be an engineer when I get older, but let's assume that you were, <laughs> you were doing it because you liked it. Was there ever a yeah. point where you're like, man, this is getting hard. I don't know that I want to do it anymore. I think, yeah. I mean, there was definitely points like that. I think the first time I started feeling like that was when I went to college. Um, and that's when, you know, I was surrounded by all these like really smart people and yeah. they have a really good engineering program. And okay. I actually chose to go there because I could like jump right into computer science like my first year without having oh, to that's great. too much like general. Ed. But yeah, yeah. So like, I think there was always points like that where I would like, I would just get frustrated and stuck and be like, man, can I really do this? And mm-hmm. constantly ask myself, I feel like I still ask myself that sometimes, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, like even, I, I don't know if that'll ever go away. Um, but you know, that's, that's part of the process. You know, you just got to embrace that and just, it's like a, you, you got to embrace the fact that you're not, not everything you make is not going to be up to what you want it to be. And that's good. Cause that means it gives you a place to reach up to. So, yeah, that's true. Um, how did you get through those moments? And I'm, I'm not trying to harp on this, but I, I find it yeah, interesting only because uh, to be entirely honest, a lot of the people like that I've spoken to, very few went for engineering, which it's fine that, you you know, there's nothing wrong with going or not going. Uh, but it sounds like you were very cognizant and very self-aware at that moment. So is there anything in particular that you did that was like, no, or anybody that may have helped kind of thing? Um, well, I do. I remember there was a point in college, especially like when you're doing a computer science degree. I think everyone who does it, like a hardcore engineering degree, like tends to have one of these moments, if not many throughout their education, where they're just like, this is so hard. Like, what the hell, man? Like everyone in my class just got a D on this test. Like, this is just outrageously difficult. And like, gotcha. you know, or, or maybe not, and or maybe not. And I was just like, you know, struggling and everyone else was doing fine. But, <laughs> but you know, there's, there's a point where I was like talking to a guy who was like a year or two ahead of me. And I was just like, man, like you guys are all so good at this. Like I'm like struggling to get this stuff done. And he was like, I, I don't know. I mean, he just said, you know, like, Honestly, like I was there like a year or two ago and I just Mm -hmm. kept working at it and eventually it started to click and, you know, it's such a, that's such a, like a general, like broad statement, but I think it resonated a lot with me. I was like, okay, maybe there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Like I'm not the only one that's like struggled to get to that point. Like people didn't just waltz up to this place where they're suddenly, you know, doing this really well. They like fell down and struggled and like, you know, really tried their hardest quite a bit. And, you know, I think yeah. I eventually got to a point where I felt more comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. I think that's what he meant. Like, you know, you kind of feel like, okay, I can handle this. Uh, this yep. part I don't know how to do, but I can handle this other part. You know? Well, I think, I think what happens sometimes is we look at our peers or we look at people we admire, right? Especially in, in like the tech community. I used this example before, but if, if Paul Irish picks up, um, something around a new JavaScript framework that just came out yesterday, mm-hmm. substantially faster than I do, then, you know, I am like, man, I'm an idiot. Like he picked this up. But the reality is, is that he's had his own troubles just earlier yeah. on. He's got much more experience and that kind of stuff. Right. Or, or maybe right. 
it just clicks for him the same way that something else clicks for me and maybe not for him. So it's like, it's weird because I think what we do is we compare ourselves to others around us, not realizing that they may have had similar struggles or their own struggles in other areas that we excel at. So it's like, it's this weird balancing act that is sometimes not balanced because like you just get in your head. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, I'm sure there are people who things just click easier for them, but in general, no matter how good you are, I think there's always those moments of like, damn, I don't know how to do this. And I've been trying for hours and I have no idea. And this is like so frustrating or like, you know, whatever for any field. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. That, that, uh, that happened to me like last week where I was like banging my head on something for 30 minutes, which in the grand scheme of things is not a long, a long time, but when you can make absolutely zero progress in 30 minutes and you're intently focused on this thing, it sucks. And then like, I called my boss over and he was like, Oh, you just need to do this. And I'm like, motherfucker. <laughs> Granted, he's got 10 plus years experience. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. a, this stuff I was dealing with is probably a cakewalk, but it's just frustrating. Cause it's like, uh, sometimes it's like a small thing that is very obvious or what happens to me sometimes. And I'm like telling all my shitty secrets is I won't read the documentation fully. That actually <laughs> happened to me. I was working on a site and I was like, Hey, I might need some help on this. And then I forgot about it, like following up with him on that. Um, and then the next day he's like, Hey, do you still need help on that? I was like, Nope, because I read the documentation and it told me how to do it. I'm an yeah. idiot. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, you learn your processes, you learn what, you know, yeah. like, the path of like getting stuff done and stuff. Yeah. That's, yeah. I think my biggest, uh, my biggest issue with, I think with a lot of things is slowing down. Like I, and I, I've, I've tried to sort of track this a little bit and think about it. Like I grew up playing sports, that were always explosion, fast paced football, track, basketball. Um, I never read instructions growing up and that has sort of been a habit, right. That I inherently have. And I think we all have our own kind of habits, whatever they are. So for me, reading the documentation is doing exactly what I'm used to doing, which is moving fast. When in reality, I need to like stop. I've legitimately had sticky notes on my desk that just say, slow down. (laughs) I think there's something to be said though. I mean, I I think that's fair, but I also think that there's something to be said for that probably says something about you where you're very down to tinker and experiment and just dive right in and like go in head first, which is good. That's great. Like you, you know, yeah, you that's a fair something. point too. That's a much um, nicer way to phrase it than I just did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my, my mom has this like running joke in my family where me and my dad will just, will never read the instructions before assembling something we just bought. We'll just, just start doing it. And then like, yeah, half the time we get it wrong, but it's, you know, you learn so much in that process. Yeah. So, I think that's yeah. most guys that do that though. Isn't that the joke? It's like instructions and directions. We don't ask about either. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just anyone with a, yeah, that, that sort of like mindset of like, you know, tinkering, you know, people just want to get into it instead of like just yeah. reading for hours about something and then doing it. So, yeah. Which is interesting because I'm, I'm finding that I actually, I like both parts of it. Like last night I was tinkering with like a, uh, like a, parallaxy scrolly javascript framework so less uh-huh. less scrolling backgrounds more uh hiding showing uh firing events based on scroll position of a page like that kind uh-huh. of stuff and i hadn't done that in a very long time but last night i was just tinkering with it now there's other sides of me like for instance uh re- something like react i don't know anything about it or its ecosystem so i might want to read up on that a little bit right right yeah. and sort of just get this bearing about it whereas this other yeah. thing i can just play with it um and it's like it's weird that it's like some things you're okay with jumping in on like a camera is a perfect example i don't know anybody that reads the instruction manual before like before playing with the camera but (laughs) 
you might take a class on photo editing because maybe there's just a few extra hurdles there with the yeah. software and all that kind of stuff. Like, it's like, I don't know. It's this weird thing. Uh, people are weird. That's yeah. basically it. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, all right. So you were in college, you were having a good old fun time building shit or like learning and stuff. What, um, what was like your first thought with getting a job? And I ask because I didn't go to school for computer science. So I don't know how they set those expectations. Is it something like go get a job at a big conglomerate where you can be a Java, you know, go get a job at chase and go be a Java engineer. Or is it like be, I've, I've actually had some friends. I've spoken to some people who are artists who are classically trained, like classically trained artists. And those courses very much make it clear that freelancing is probably what you're going to be doing for the rest of your life. And that's just sort of the expectation they set. So what was it like for you? Yeah. Um, and, and don't mind me for a second. I'm also, I'm just grabbing a battery while I answer this question. Um, oh, good, man. Yeah. So I don't know. I think, um, it's, it's a little bit different in the engineering industry, uh, or at least for computer science, because we have stuff that's in such high demand. Um, you know, you definitely have a lot of, a lot more opportunity, I think. So for that, it, it comes down to, I, I feel like it changes every year. Like right now it's, it's probably a little different than it was six years ago. Now there's yeah. like all these like hip companies in in San Francisco and stuff that everybody wants to work at versus like maybe like 15 years ago, it was more like you want to work for Oracle and you want to like get a yeah. good job, you know, doing that. So I think there was a variety of stuff. Um, and the, the romanticism of like having a startup has, has definitely grown um, quite a bit. Now, like everyone wants to start one and like everyone wants to join the hip startup and stuff, but yeah, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard to say for me, I graduated right as the economy tanked. So for me, oh, it was just like, okay. I was just like, I just want a job. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody pay me please. So yeah, I, I, I didn't really have um, the pick of the litter at the time. Was it um, that hard though? Cause I feel like even then technology is still very important. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, totally. I mean, I think it, I, maybe it's, maybe it's just cause I have more experience now and I, you know, like, I know more people in the industry now, but like, I feel like it was a lot harder then to get a job that I wanted specifically than, sure. than the type of job, you know, like right now I could probably, I feel like I'd have an easier time. Um, but you know, the economy is doing better and I also have more experience and whatnot, but yeah, yeah. I don't know. It, it, there was, I didn't feel like anybody guided us per se, um, mm -hmm. in one direction or another. Uh, that was kind of cool about my, my college was that like, you know, people went to all different, I mean, there's people that worked at Apple over the summer. And then there's people that went and worked for like defense contractor companies. And like, you know, they had these job fairs and there's all sorts of companies there. Um, so for me, it was just like, you know, I, I didn't feel pushed in one direction or another, I guess. So where did you end up then? What was that first job? My first job was I worked at, it was, it was awful. Um, I worked <laughs> at, um, guys, I hope I'm not like, saying something I shouldn't be saying, but, um, I worked at Kaiser Permanente, um, okay. the, the medical company in their IT department. Okay. Um, and I mean, it wasn't okay. I, I shouldn't say it was awful. I'm very glad that I, um, got the job and the people I worked with were really cool. They were really yeah. nice and super great, but yeah, it was just like work that I didn't want to be doing. Sure. Um, oh, I think awful is also a judgment you pass in hindsight, right? Like at the time, yeah. if you probably, at the time you probably didn't 
really know with the exception of maybe talking to some friends. But if your job is to manually like set up servers, then that's just what it is, right? And you, yeah. maybe you've got no uh, preference towards that until you talk to another kid you gradu- graduated with and he's at Facebook and they give him like foot massages. And totally. in comparison, your job is terrible. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so for me, it was just sort of like, I, I just wasn't writing code as much. Like I was doing, I, there, it was just like way more bureaucracy and stuff like that. So that was when I realized yeah. I didn't want to work at a large company. That's um, fair. Yeah, I've, I've, I've had about of large corporate companies and they're not fun. I don't yeah, like them. It's, it's rough. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's uh, cool. I mean, it, it has its benefits and it's negative. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like it, it's a, it's a toss up, right? L- larger companies have the benefit of more money, uh, more security. I know a lot of people who choose to work at more, I say large, what I'm really mean is established, right? So Facebook is large. It's probably not as stuffy as GE might be. Right, uh, right. But it still is a sure. large corporate entity. Mm-hmm. Um, but you get the security. You also know that you're probably going to get paid better than like an obscure startup, right? Mm-hmm. Or some small business. So there are some benefits, but I guess it depends on what you're willing to trade. Yeah. No, it's true. For sure. You were at Casa Permanente and at some point you realized you wanted a new job. And what was that yeah. process? Um, I mean, I, I think <laughs> I think like the first week I was there, I realized that. Um, <laughs> It was like, you know, I, I, I knew going into the job that it wasn't like the ideal and that it was going to be sort of a, a stepping stone. And I was, mm-hmm. I was uh, on a contract, so it wasn't like I was, you know, like signing up to be like this employee and then ditching out on it. So I didn't feel sure. bad about like searching for a new job because um, I knew that there, there was a, they probably would have extended my contract potentially indefinitely. Um, mm-hmm. But I knew that there was a form of a stopping point at some point in the future. So I was like, fine, searching for something. But I don't know. Like it it came from that same desire of like, I want to create stuff. I just wanted to make stuff. That's where, that's always what it's been. You know, I want to like use whatever skills I have to, to build something cool. And Mm -hmm. I I wasn't doing really much of that at that job. And so I just knew that I needed to get to a point where I was able to do that, whether it was for myself or for other people or whatever, you know, I just wanted to, to make, and that was, that's always been the motivator. So. Gotcha. That's really cool. So where'd you end up next then? So the next job I had was pretty cool. It was, uh, I worked for Mercedes Benz R and D. Um, oh, wow. That's actually pretty nifty. It was rad, man. It was, it was a really cool, um, job. Um, they're, they're R and D like North America. I think they have like a, a headquarters in Palo Alto. Um, oh, wow. That makes so, sense though. Yeah. So I was like, you know, I'm in the Bay area, you know, I, it was like, um, you know, I was actually like writing Android code and modifying like the Android operating system. And then we would put it into the race cars that they had. What? Uh, which was super cool. Yeah. What was um, that for? Like, why would you, why were you writing this Android stuff and then putting it in the cars? Well, if you look at like most cars today, um, actually, I think this is the year finally that my code has been released, even though I wrote it like six years ago because it's like, <laughs> got this long process. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, I mean, in, if you look at any of these cars today, they have these you know, smart, you know, systems yep. that are like, essentially like, it's like a tablet in the car. Right. Um, yep. and so we were just experimenting with like using Android to power that. Uh, okay. So to be the operating system for that interface. Exactly. And so, gotcha. you know, we wrote this, this app that like you could, you could do a, like a, it would start tracking times and GPS for your, your laps on your race. Like, and mm-hmm. you know, just like performance oh, okay. stuff, yeah, like yeah, yeah, racing yeah. performance stuff. Um, which was, yeah, it was super cool. And then one day we even like, we would oftentimes we'd get into the cars and drive them around to test oh, really? stuff. Yeah. 
That's so um, awesome. Was yeah, it like so a was like, separate track or was it all a part of the same complex? Um, the, the actual building itself is really small. So we just go find like open parking lots and like go do donuts <laughs> and shit. <laughs> it was pretty funny. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, and then like one time we were driving around and, and finally like, you know, my boss was like, all right, you, you take the wheel. And I'm like, I'm a terrible driver. I just don't know what I'm doing at all. And so he's like, yeah, just do some donuts or do something. And then I like started driving and like really floored it. And then we started like spinning out and then he like, it was a huge parking lot. So it was like totally fine. Cause there was just yeah. nothing there. Uh, and then I was like, you know, like we like we're spinning out for a bunch and then we stopped and then he's like, all right, so I'm going to, I'm going to drive from now on. I don't think you should be uh, <laughs> handling this. So, but it was still super fun. Just even riding, you know, shotgun in, in one of those cars. Yeah. No, that's crazy. I, shit. That, that's really cool because it's, I mean, I think stereotypically programmers sit in a room with no windows and write code that they're never going to see the light of day and you sort yeah. of get to test this stuff. And it's oh, not yeah. even like you're testing it on an iPhone, right? But you're building something that is that is meant to uh, complement an offline uh, entity, right? That being a car and the experience yeah. of driving a car for these race car drivers. And you get to test it. And there's yeah. no other way for you to test it except for like to go fast and do donuts. Yeah. No, seriously. Our, our testing environment was a race car. Like it was, it was nuts. Um, I would. <laughs> I don't know if I'll ever have another job that cool, but you test, know. <laughs> test. Oh my God. Test driven development. That's like yeah. perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Literally. It was pretty cool. Um, yeah. It was, it was, it was a lot of fun, man. It was, and we, you know, we did a lot of cool stuff and it's R and D. So there's no like super yeah. hard deadlines and stuff. So yep. that's even, that's great. <laughs> yeah. You sort of, it's a play, it's essentially a, a playground that you get paid to be in. Totally. Yeah. So awesome. I, I might be jumping over a bit here, but at what point did you decide that you wanted to go out on your own? Yeah, no, that's a good question. I think that I, sounds like a pretty awesome job. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think I had always kind of fantasized about doing that um, a little bit. And it, it was always kind of something that I thought would be super cool. I didn't really think it was possible to do it on my own until I got a job at this small like boutique um, agency in, in SF. And then, um, you know, I started working there and I was like, oh, wow, like this is a thing that you can do, like to provide services for others, yeah. you know, and you know, oh, I, I, I guess that, to, yeah. Cause at the time you were only working for corporate entities, right? Yeah, so I, I didn't see much yeah. of the agency world. So okay. as soon as I realized you could do that, I was like, wow, I want to do this for myself and like, yeah. you know, do it independently. And that was when I started to travel a lot more. So I was like, man, I, I'd love to be like location independent and just, you know, work remotely and do stuff like that. And yeah. So, that's really cool. Um, so what was that transition? Like, was it, uh, Man, I didn't, I really didn't prepare for that one. I mean, I was, I was just working a job and then I was just like, uh, my main thing that I did was I made sure that I had enough money saved up so that I didn't need to like, if I didn't earn an income for, I think it was like for a, a year, I saved up a year's worth of living expenses basically. Um, which is probably oh, wow. more than most people need, but I like, I saved up for a long time, um, yeah. quite a bit of time. And I, I was like, I just want to give myself a year to like, give it a shot. And if I Makes can sense. make it through that year. Great. If not like, you know, no worries. I, I like prepped for it basically. Um, and then you, know. you just made the jump. You left the job basically. Yeah. I left the job. Uh, and I, I didn't even like really start doing stuff immediately. I, I like traveled for a bit and, you know, I went to burning man, you know, just the classic San Franciscan, like <laughs> quitting their job story. Um, <laughs> but yeah, well, you know, as soon you as can't I got quit back, without going to burning man, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, um, yeah. So like, I mean, I, I, I basically, 
after I came back, I started really talking to people and seeing like what was out there and like pretty soon. I mean, it's, you know, Silicon Valley. And, you know, if you're an engineer in Silicon Valley, it's usually not too hard to find work. So I found I guess that's stuff pretty quick. Yeah. And I'm sure that was also relieving too to know that you can, you know, find some work. Yeah. You know, it was a start pretty easily was, with, within reason. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I definitely like, I mean, I still dipped into my savings a fair amount during that first six months because yeah. it was like a slow build up process. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but it was okay. I mean, I was like a little bit more selective about the type of stuff I took on, like wanted yep. to make sure it was work that I wanted to do and stuff. So yeah, it was cool. Yeah. And no, here I am. It's like two and a half years later, I guess. At, um, at any point in that, and I'm sure I say, I'm sure I, I feel like this is a common story. Like at what point did you realize that this was like a thing? And what I'm trying to get at is there's this idea of like going professional. So for a mm-hmm. while you might be doing, you might be providing service for comp- for companies, but you still sort of feel amateurish a little bit. And then yeah. there's a point in which you're like, no, wait, this is like, this is it. Like I'm, this is real. I'm a professional. I'm doing this kind of stuff for people, for service at a, at a good level of quality. Right. I, I, I never really had doubts about the quality of work I was providing. The only times that I had, cause you know, I had been, I'd worked at um, two different places where I was That's right. essentially a consultant doing the same thing. And I knew I could do it. It was more like the question of, can I, can this be sustainable for me? Um, and okay. so that was, that was what the revelation was from, from my end was just like, you know, is this something that I can repeat over and over again until I, you know, until I retire or whatever, you know, until I decide to change paths. Um, and that happened probably like somewhere in that second year. Um, like after that first year, I was like, okay, I actually did it. I made it one fiscal year and yeah. you know, I'm not like broke. And I was like, <laughs> you know, I was, I mean, I've, I've been living in SF and so it's, you know, I've been able to live you know, relatively comfortably, I get to travel and stuff. So I was like, yeah, this is great. This is, if I can keep doing this, I will. I mean, I, I think, I think if you talk to anybody who's an independent consultant, um, at, at varying levels, there's always a, a certain amount of uncertainty mm-hmm. involved. You know, you just, you know, it's possible, who knows, like maybe all of your clients will suddenly run out of money. And so you have to figure out what's coming up next. Or sometimes you don't know what the next project is going to be per se. And yep. there's, there's a lot out there about how to improve that and how to get your, you know, pipeline built up properly and stuff. People like Brennan Dunn and like, you know, Nick DeSabato and these guys, I don't even know if I'm saying his name right, but these guys are like, <laughs> you know, um, they talk a lot about this stuff, but I think for the most part, a lot of people still kind of have that uncertainty. So you kind of have to just embrace it <laughs> a little bit and just know that it's going to be there. If, um, if you had to sort of give yourself a grade as to how that's going for you, what do you think you would give? I mean, I'm sure everybody can get better at whatever they're doing, but like, how do you think you're faring? As in just of like how sustainable this is or like, well, like if you had to give a, like a proper, proper introspection into like what you wanted, right. This idea of location dependent, also like work independence. Right. Um, you know, you, there was this glimmer of being able to, provide service to people and you don't have to sort of be this work as an employee somewhere you can do it on your own mm-hmm. and you made it through the first fiscal year. And I know you, you've done it for a bit now, but like, how do you think it's going? I would say, I mean, you know, I, I think it's going great. I, you know, it's, it's definitely the, my favorite job I've ever had. Um, I feel like, okay. yeah, it's great. I, I, I love it. I think my only drawback, I'm sure you can, I know that you identify with this is that I think I work a little too much. Um, 
but that's kind of the only, you know, gripe I have with it at this point is that I don't, I sometimes forget to like just live my life and I kind of throw myself into my work a lot, but beyond that, I, I have no complaints. It's, you know, I think I'm pretty happy with what I've done so far. So, yeah. You know, the, the work thing is, I think it's, that's a common thread through a lot of people, designers, yeah. developers, marketing people, doesn't matter. Yeah. And I think it, it's sort of hard though, because what ends up happening is in, in one thing I do not agree with ever is the idea that you need to, that if you don't work long hours, you're not working hard. Like, I don't believe in that, that premise. Right. And that I think premise right. is a more traditional one. Uh, but I, what I do think happens is that because we work to make money, right? You are a software consultant uh, because you do it to make money, mm-hmm. um, and you need to do it for a certain amount of time per day to make a sufficient amount of money that we become a part of what that thing is. So it's not that you do it because you need to prove to somebody, but it becomes like your 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 own personal masterpiece, right? Like you, when you realize your code, it works, but it could be better. The only thing making you refactor is you, and that's because it's 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 your it's your baby. It's what you make. It's your sure. art. You want to make sure yeah. it's good. Yeah. No, I I think it's a fine line for sure. Um, you know, and as with any creative process, there's never a specific end point. Um, and I, I, yeah. I think, I think writing code is a creative process design is definitely and like, you know, like a lot of the stuff, it's just, you're creating something out of nothing. Right. So, you know, there's, there's no like, okay, we're finished work. You know, let's just go do something else now. Like there's always room for improvement. And so yeah, balancing that, you know, with just having a life and like priorities of actually the next thing you need to do in the project and, you know, mm-hmm. just getting stuff done. It's a, uh, it's a line we have to walk all the time. Yeah. So you know, I will say it's probably the one downside. Cause so I work at an agency. I know you know that. I don't know if the listeners know that. Um, the one downside of working in an agency capacity where you provide uh, service based on timeline, sort of, right. You mm-hmm. provide a service that is tied directly to a timeline um, is that sometimes you don't get to go back. So I know, I know it's common in, in me and then talking to other friends is that, Sometimes you get something to work just to get it to work to a working point because you need to for a deadline. Um, and then somehow that pesky thing makes it in production and it's like just not the best code. You can totally refactor it and make it better. But by nature of the, the business relationship, you can't do that. Right. Which is yeah. like this. It, it, it almost forces you to bring your A game every single time. But if I were to use a basketball analogy, I'm sure that when LeBron plays a, a crappier team, he knows when he like he knows how how much how long he can be on cruise control sort of hmm. and not that anybody's code no i don't think nobody writes i don't think anyone writes poor quality code but the reality is is that if you're tinkering on something and you just need to get it to work that's not the same as production level work and in the agency world you sort of always have to produce production level work which depending on your expertise and knowledge in a domain might be sometimes difficult yeah, no, it's, it's tough. And I think, um, I mean, this is what I'm, you know, like, this is what I try to do when I like set up projects is I try, I try to educate folks on what it really takes to build yeah. quality stuff because the bottom line is I don't care how good you are or how bad you are building something that is well-crafted and is stable and scalable. Um, whether it's design or whether it's like you're building a company or whether you're writing code or whatever, doing something right takes time. Yes. And 
you know, everybody in this industry is just like crank everything out, crank everything out, crank everything out. But I'm, you know, I think there's really something to be said for like a thoughtful, deliberate process that you build in enough margin around the edges. So you're like able to refine and make it better. Like, yeah, we can always move fast and we can always break things. In fact, we probably will break things the faster we move. But like, you know, I try to really, um, of course there's deadlines and, you know, again, there's, there's stuff that we got to get done at the end of the day and no matter what, but you know, I'm, I'm hoping the industry will start moving in a bit more of a direction where, you know, we're given the space to build something right. And to under, you know, that understanding is, is better, um, you know, like, I guess, perpetuated throughout, you know, because yeah. a lot of people will just have unrealistic expectations. And I think it's, I think it's our job as the creators to like educate people on yeah. what it takes to do something right versus, you know, just the, the first thing that comes to my mind is, uh, some weird analogy around construction. Um, mm-hmm. So we build things that are intangible. They live in a digital capacity. You can never put them in your pocket. You can put a device in your pocket that houses that thing, but not the thing. So Mm -hmm. like Soma's website, we can't put Soma's website in our pocket. Mm -hmm. Um, But imagine our world, this idea of like fail fast, right? Like make fast, break fast, et cetera. That would never fly in construction. If someone were building a corporate building or a house, the idea that like, oh, I'm going to build this real quick. And if the staircase breaks, it's okay. We're going to, we'll make it better the next time. Like you yeah. can't do that. You have to plan. Yeah. Um, so I think what, or rather, I don't think, I hope that when more individuals that are not in a technical capacity are more educated. And I think that just by way of the work for a while, some of the like, uh, you know, websites were a, a byproduct, something they needed, but didn't want kind of thing. And that was mm-hmm. like, you know, in the early nineties when websites were like table layouts and stuff. But now that technology is becoming much uh, more and more intertwined with the brick and mortar aspects of business, I'm hoping that people will realize that planning is equally as important in building a house as it is in building a digital product, whether that digital product is an app, a subscription-based service, or just your marketing website. Like mm-hmm. I know for me, separate from like on a business level, there's times where I'll build something that I've built time and time again, but I still literally draw it out and, and like point an arrow. This div is going to be called this or like on click, this thing's going to do this. There's times where I write a list, you know, an unordered list of like, you know, on click, this does this. If this case is true, it does something else. If it's false, it doesn't, you know, like, and I'll write it down on paper. And I've found in my own experience that writing it down, even if it's just for five or 10 minutes, it still helps me gain a a more clear perspective on what I actually need to accomplish. Totally. And hopefully I don't break as much stuff along the way. Yeah. No, that's, that's almost always a good, good equation for, for building something better than if you just start building it without like thinking it through. So yeah, I mean, building in time when you, when you tell people how long a project's going to take and you know, I know it's tough, especially at agencies where someone's just like, all right, we sold this project. You got two weeks go. And then you're like, yeah. Oh crap. But yeah. you know, when, when you're telling people how, how long, or if someone does ask anyway, you know, depending on what capacity you're part of that process, like telling them like this, we need to build a certain period of time just to like plan it out and design it thoughtfully. Yeah. And then we'll start building it because yeah. it'll be better in the end for doing so. so. And by, um, I'll say this and then I'll get into some other questions because we're getting close. I don't want to keep you too much longer. So I just want to be cognizant of your time. Sure, but the interesting thing too is that, and I don't know, I don't know where I stand on it, but I think what ends up happening is a, a lot of agencies are trying to 
get clients to pay. I say agencies. That's the world that I know, and that's why I bring it up. Um, they try to get clients to pay for discovery, which, mm-hmm. um, in my opinion, if the age, if the business that hired the agency had an in-house team, there's no discovery phase. And well, discovery is used for a different purpose. I think sometimes within an agency, discovery is used to learn about the business because they're removed. They have no knowledge of. They know this company sells product X. They don't know why or to who or those kind of things. Right. Whereas if they had an in-house team, discovery is no longer education about the product. It's more education, hopefully, about the technology, the, essentially the planning stuff that we discussed. So yeah. it's like it becomes a bit interesting as to where that planning phase comes in and when and why and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so the, there we're, we're rounding out this awesome edition of The Start. And there's three questions that I ask. Um, the first being, you know, given all this knowledge and experience that you now have and that you've gained over time, if you jumped into like the DeLorean, went back to your comedian self or at any, <laughs> any, any point in your life, really, uh, yeah, sure. is there any like advice or insights you'd say or tell yourself? You know, I mean, the only thing that I would really try to tell myself is that if, if you're going to embark on any kind of lifelong craft, um, this is just kind of regurgitating what we were saying earlier, but like, if you're going to embark on any lifelong craft, like to not be as obsessed with being happy with the outcome, but more so be happy with the process of creating that. Like I heard this, I heard this really, I forget where I read this, but I read this really good quote about this guy says, if you, before you do anything, ask yourself if you want to be the person that is known for making X, or if you want to be the person that makes X. And if it's the latter, you should do it. And if it's not, then Wait, you... what do you mean? Can you explain that? Yeah. So like, basically, do you want to be the guy that's known for doing this thing? But then when you actually get down and do it, you're like, oh, I kind of don't like going through this process and like, gotcha. I don't want to do this stuff. Or do you want to be the guy that's like, I just want to make it like, and then you, you love digging into it and getting through it and stuff because otherwise you're never going to follow through and finish anything because you're not, you know, you have to love that process. And so, you know, like if you expect, Oh man, I'm going to build this website and then I'm going to be famous and I'm going to have all this money. I got what you mean. That's all bad. If you're more interested in the outcome over the pro. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah. So, you know, embrace that process. And if that's, you know, just use that to guide what you want to do with your time and your life. And if you have something that you like doing and you don't care how it turns out, you just enjoy doing it then that is usually a good sign for something for you to pursue. So really interesting. You know, I never thought about that. That's really cool. Um, so then the other question is very similar. So if, if it's the same response, you can, you can defer to that. Um, if someone called you, emailed you, talked to you at a conference meetup, whatever, and was like, I'm getting in the industry. What, what do I need to know? What would you say? Uh, (laughs) well, specifically for this industry, I would say, I hope you're ready for a lifetime of learning and, you know, I, struggle makes it seem like a bad thing, but it's like, you know, a lifetime of working really hard at trying to understand new complex things. Yep. If you're down for that, great. But it's a long, never ending road of just like yep. learning and, and trying to wrap your head around different things. And if you're ready for that, great. If not, maybe you shouldn't do this. <laughs> That's not much, fair. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I've thought about it and I think I would tell people that like you need to, I always talk about this idea that curiosity is a skill and I think you need yeah. to 
for in my opinion, one would need to recognize it and mm-hmm. also understand that it's a skill that you need to sharpen over time. Totally. Um, yeah. Which I think falls directly in line with that. So yeah. the last question is a super fun time question and has absolutely nothing to do with everything we talked about. And okay. <laughs> I don't think I don't know what it is until I start announcing that I'm telling you a secret fun time question because hopefully the idea is that our conversation will spur something that I ask about. And knowing you, I have, I think, a pretty good question, which is um, we are in another world where you are, not, you are not a software developer or consultant. You are a rapper. Okay. Uh, what is your name? Sick. What name do you go by? Oh, man. That's a good question. Uh, I, it, would probably, it would probably be just PAV, P-A-V. It's like, it's what like my friends call me and, you know, just sort of like, yeah, I, I don't think I'd feel right calling myself something different. I feel it's like too corny. So Pav is probably the, the direction I'd go. <laughs> you don't want to be, do you know who Puff the Magic Dragon is? I, I do. Yeah. I'm familiar. You don't want to be Pav the Magic Dragon? <laughs> I think, you know, when you, when you try to do stuff like that, it starts to get dated after like 10 years or so. So, you know, Hey, look, man, I'm trying to do a career as a rapper. So it's gotta be something that's, that's timeless. <laughs> I, yeah, I guess that's no, that's, that's, that's fair. That's a really good point. Um, where can people find you online? Um, well, you know, if you're, if you're looking for my consulting work, you can find me at graybike.co. Uh, that's G R A Y B I K E.co. Um, I'm on Twitter. Uh, it's my first name and first initial and last name. Uh, but I'm sure you can post that on the notes because it's like a long last name. Yeah. <laughs> so. how, wait, how do you, I've asked you this before, but how do you pronounce your last name? Uh, Trikutam. All it's, right. Say it, say it without the accent. Uh, well, I, I mean, that's, that's how you say it. So, um, it's like, it's like tri, Trikutam. It's like three. Oh, okay. Okay. So Sorry. Like I didn't mean that in like a, a rude way. But <laughs> no, no, no worries. When I said say it without the accent, it was basically can I hear it the way I would potentially say it? Right, like the, right, right. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So, so three kutum is like a three, three kutum. All right. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. 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 It's, it's kind of, it's like a rolled R it's, it's tough to, it's tough to pronounce for sure. You know, I always thought it was tricotum. <laughs> that's, you know, I've heard, I've heard all sorts of variations. So it's, it's not too far off. <laughs> okay. That's fair. Um, yeah, yeah. so that's your Twitter anywhere else. Um, I have a lot of photography up at heypav.com. Um, so that's, that's where you can find some of my photo work. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, mostly on, on Twitter and, and on, uh, on my websites. So yeah. Very cool. Cool. Well, thanks for joining me, Pavan. I really, really do appreciate it. I'm glad yeah, we thanks for having me. Ch- chat while being recorded because we chat <laughs> about the dumbest shit. In totally. Yeah. <laughs> for sure, man. Yeah, this is great. All right, Pavan. Have a good day, man. All right. You too.